Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You guys need to check out June's journey. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the Roaring Twenties and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, Murder With My Husband listeners, we're here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually actually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas. Garrett and I sometimes get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found a custom pickleball set for my pickleballer who, as you know, is obsessed with it. Now, it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleball gift mode has you covered need to find the perfect gift don't panic try gift mode on etsy now hey everybody welcome back to our podcast this is murder with my husband i'm peyton morland and i'm garrett morland and he's the husband and i'm the husband before we get over into garrett's 10 seconds i just want to take a second to thank every single one of you who supports our podcast thank you for listening every week thank you for reviewing um thank you for leaving comments it really means so much to us. I can't even believe this community that we get to be a part of, and it's all because of you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And then also as this episode is coming out, a bonus episode will be coming out in a couple of days. As well, you probably see on the feed, there is something called Dear Daisies. We are doing those, those are those are available for everybody. Um, we're gonna do one a month right now. It's your guys' stories, your guys' situations that you've been in. Please write them into us. Please tell us more so we can keep doing those. And again, we're going to release those once a month. And for Patreon and Apple subscriptions, um, you get two bonus episodes that we do every single month and ad-free content for Murder With My Husband, Binged, Rise in Crime, all of it. So if you're interested, go and check it out. Okay. That will lead me into my 10 seconds. So Peyton and I spent a ton of time working in the studio. This last week, um, we still have some more lights um, to add. It probably won't look that much different, but it looks different to us. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, we have this huge light that hangs above us. And it used to just be held up by poles. But Garrett, he climbed up there in the attic and he hung that light from the ceiling. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) jump scare (laughs) yeah so i climbed up in the ceiling um i made a track put the light on the track put the light in the ceiling and a couple of studs two by fours you know just the whole nine yards yeah so it's up there it's holding good we're feeling good we feel like we have more room in the studio yeah we ate lunch in here just so we could bask in it it's amazing 
And off that note, I would like to say that we saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and it was Awful. amazing. Amazing. If Awful. you haven't seen it yet and you're a Marvel and you're a Marvel fan, go and see it. Nope. Zero out of ten recommend. Do Pain, not go see Pain it. And cried like ninety-five percent of the time. Oh my gosh. I bawled the entire movie, looked at Garrett in the middle, said, Take me home. I don't want to sit here anymore. I said, I'll tell you what, you go wait in the lobby with <laughs> those thirteen year olds, it'll be out in a bit. <laughs> no, but it was really good. It it was good. It was there were some sad parts. I don't know if I don't know if you would call it animal cruelty it's like they're like fake animals um and they died just in like i'm not going to spoil it um basically if you haven't seen guardians of the galaxy 3 go see it and peyton will probably go with you oh my gosh like scarred for the next couple days couldn't stop thinking about it that's sure. how bad it was yeah and it's currently my birthday we are recording oh my on my birthday friday may 26 1994 Okay. All the 94. Mother's maiden name. <laughs> Social security <laughs> number, credit card numbers, anything you want, let me know. But we're recording on my birthday, and I'm going to try to get Peyton to play some pickleball with me. I can't go crazy yet because of my foot, but I can move a little bit. Oh, I've been watching so much pickleball. I think I'm going to jump immediately in and be a pro. So we'll see. I'm going to go play with her probably after this. And so let's get into today's episode, and we will go play some pickleball. Our case sources are foxnews.com, CBS News, Alaska Public Media, oxygen.com, find a grave, darkdowneast.com, Fairbanks Daily News, newspapers.com, Detroit Free Press, sunjournal.com, Anchorage Daily News, and News Center Maine. Okay. This is an Alaskan case. Okay. And I think we have done maybe one or two, but it's definitely not like Florida where there's just an insane case coming from there every week. So yeah. this one is a little different because it's over in Alaska. But I'm transporting us back to 1991 in Fairbanks, Alaska, where the population is 31,000 people. The number of violent crimes per capita in Fairbanks is slightly above the average for the state of Alaska, but the total numbers are still quite low given the relatively low population. Okay. For instance, there were only two murders in Fairbanks in the year 1992. And to move even further away from murder, our case takes place in the woodsy, forested area of the University of Alaska Fairbanks, or UAF. And as of 1993, no one had been killed on the UAF campus for the past 20 years. The last murder was in 1972. And the woodsy setting gives a feeling of security and safety to families who are hoping to send their kids to college in a less urban, less dangerous location than where they may have come from elsewhere in the U.S. But some students who attend UAF have the exact opposite issue. They come from tiny, remote villages that are scattered all around Alaska. And such was the case for a young female student of UAF named Sophie Sergi. Interestingly, Sophie was born in 1972. If you remember, that was the last time there was a murder. Mm -hmm. And she comes from a tiny, very remote Native American village in Alaska. She is Yupik Native American and grew up in Pitka's Point, which is comprised of 100% Native American and in 2020 had a population of only 130 people. According to USDA.gov, in 2011, the water and wastewater conditions in Pitka's Point and other Alaskan communities are staggering. 
Drinking water is hauled from local watering points, which clearly do not meet safe drinking water standards. And wastewater is hauled by utilizing honey buckets. So the same path that kids play and walk to and from school is the same route that individuals routinely walk with their five-gallon buckets of wastewater to honey bucket transfer stations. Okay. So just a very remote village. Mm -hmm. So for Sophie, heading the 500 miles east to University of Alaska Fairbanks was quite an adjustment from the life she grew up in. Sophie is very petite, standing only four foot nine or four foot eleven, depending on the source. Her mother is Elena Sergi, and she has a little brother named Stephen, who she helps take care of as he's only three years old. She also has an older brother who's in the Navy. And speaking of the Navy, Sophie originally aspires to join the Navy like her older brother, but she's too short in stature to be eligible for the position she wants in the Navy. Got it. So she instead decides to attend college, the first to ever do so in her family, and study marine biology. Sophie is incredibly bright and studious and driven, and she makes everyone in her town proud when she receives a full-ride scholarship to UAF. She is a serious student, and she knows that her success is extremely important to her family and her village. And although described as shy, Sophie has friends, but she is not a partier by any sense in college. She does make one particularly good friend, a girl named Shirley Wasuli, whom she meets through an organization called Rural Student Services. No way. Yeah, that provides support for students making the adjustment from places like Pitka's Point to the large UAF campus, which is such a cool service mm-hmm. that the college provides. And with her new friend and work ethic, Sophie begins making the adjustment into college, and she actually completes her first two years at the university. But by April 1993, Sophie has to take a leave of absence for medical and family reasons. Sophie has been suffering from a severe overbite and needs major orthodontic work and jaw surgery to correct it. And on top of that, her mother is having her own medical issues and needs help taking care of Sophie's little brother. So once home, the surgery that Sophie needs is expensive, and so she gets a job needing the health insurance that an employer back home can provide in order to help pay for the surgery. So basically she moves home and gets a job because she needs that health insurance to get the surgery. Sophie works at a school in nearby St. Mary's as a clerk and academic aide during this time. The jaw surgery itself, plus all of the appointments and follow-up work, are all actually happening in Fairbanks. So Sophie will be flying back and forth to Fairbanks even while on leave from school. So she's at school in Fairbanks, but she moves home. But then she has to fly back to Fairbanks to get to these follow-up appointments and the actual appointment itself. And for financial considerations, instead of paying for a place to stay, Sophie typically stays with her friend Shirley at UAF when she flies back to go to these appointments. So Sophie's ultimate plan is to eventually go back to UAF in the fall of 1993 after her surgery and her mom is a little bit better. She really does want to resume her college studies. So at UAF, there is a three-dorm complex, which is made up of Bartlett Hall, Moore Hall, and Scarland Hall. Now, Bartlett Hall is eight stories high and sits between the two other dorms. And the three halls are separate structures on their upper floors, but they have a common lobby. 
and roughly 670 students live in the three hall complex. Back in 1993, the second floor of Bartlett Hall is for girls only. The floors back then are designated either all male or all female. However, opposite sex visitors are allowed on various floors. And because it's an all girl floor, the boys have to use the dorms women's bathroom while visiting. So it wasn't uncommon to see a boy in the dorm bathroom like during the day or even in the night. Mm -hmm. And although there hadn't been a murder on campus for 20 years at the time of our story, that didn't mean there wasn't any crime on campus. In 1991, a female student is the victim of an attack and an attempted rape in a bathroom in the adjoining Scarland Hall. And just to give you a glimpse of the state of campus security at UAF back during our story, in 1989, due to budget constraints, UAF stops having clerks at the desks and all that people have to do to gain entry into the dorms is to follow a resident in through the locked doors, which I did this in college as Mm -hmm. well. You just wait for someone to open the door. In about February of 1993, another sexual assault is reported by a female student. The victim says that two basketball players raped her while another one watched. And later in February 1993, in another incident, quote, a drunken naked man was found in the woman's bathroom at Bartlett. Student? No. Just a random man? Yeah. And the man is arrested after he was found on the fourth floor bathroom. Okay. But this is just to show you how little security is is going on at these dorms and how easy it is to gain access. So in April 1993, Sophie has another appointment in Fairbanks relating to her jaw surgery. So her plan is to stay with her friend and former roommate Shirley at Bartlett Hall where Shirley's now living. Shirley's room is on the second floor of Bartlett Hall, which as I mentioned is designated for female students only. Shirley is living in a single dorm room, so she doesn't have a roommate. And when Sophie comes to visit that April, Shirley decides to give Sophie the keys to her single room while she stays at the next dorm over with her boyfriend so that Sophie will have a comfortable and private place to stay. I was going to say, I'm sure they sleep over at each other's apartments all the time. Yeah. So on Friday, April 23rd, 1993, Sophie flies from her village of Pitka's Point to Bethel then on to Anchorage where she stays overnight. Then on Saturday, Sophie flies on from Anchorage to Fairbanks. And after she arrives back at UAF for the weekend, Sophie visits with her friend, Joanne Sundown, who takes a photo of her while the two are hanging out in Sundown's room. Sophie's medical appointment in Fairbanks is scheduled for that Monday, April 26th, 1993. After this, Sophie and Shirley have lunch together that Saturday on campus, and then they hang out together in Shirley's room, which is room 227 in Bartlett Hall. Okay. Next, Sophie goes into town to pick up some things in Fairbanks that are harder to find in her small village back home. The next day, Sunday, April 25th, Shirley, Sophie's friend, has finals coming up, and so she needs to study. So although her friend's visiting, she's like, hey, girl, I got I got to get some studying in. So while Shirley is busy studying, Sophie goes to the movies and spends time with some other friends, including Sundown. And I think it's just like a girl who went to college here is on a leave of absence, but she goes back. She still has all these friends who are in college. She's just hanging out with all of them. 
Sophie and the three friends go to a movie titled Indian Summer and then go for a drive to the Murphy Dome Recreation Area where it's possible to see the Northern Lights. So her friends drop her off at the end of the evening back at Bartlett Hall. Sophie wasn't partying, she wasn't drinking, she wasn't doing drugs. Then late that Sunday night, Shirley and Sophie meet up in Shirley's room. Shirley and her boyfriend, Noah Naylor, have a pizza delivered to Shirley's room and they eat it with Sophie on the floor of the dorm room. The dorms this weekend are full as finals week is approaching, so every student is at school. The three friends finish eating the pizza at about 1 a.m. on what's now Monday, April 26th. And as usual, Sophie's going to stay in Shirley's room and Shirley's going to stay with her boyfriend in his room. Sophie is wearing what's described as a Native American style sweater with a hood. It's bright and multicolored. She's also wearing her older brother's navy sweatpants. And just before Shirley and Noah leave to go to his room for the night, Sophie asks where she can go have a cigarette. Mm. She doesn't want to smoke in Shirley's room. And given that it's Alaska in April, it's too cold to comfortably smoke outside. So Shirley suggests that Sophie should smoke in the girl's bathroom down the hall. I'm surprised there is just zero moderation, it seems, at all. In the, in dorms. the dorms. I kind of agree. Like no security, no RA. Isn't that what they're called? Yeah, like the people who... Yeah, the managers. I are the HOAs of the floor? Basically, yeah. Yeah, I'm... It just seems like there's zero moderation. I, you and I didn't live in dorms, so it's yeah. we don't know. But I don't know. It seems like there's nothing going on. I feel like if it's not called an RA, we are going to get absolutely obliterated. Yeah, if it... What is it? I know the name. Like, I know what you're thinking. It's fine. Just you send us we, an email. We didn't live something. in dorms. We didn't yeah, live in we dorms. we didn't live in dorms. Don't send an email. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Just pretend that it's right, please. Do you ever find that when you're traveling, you can't help but worry about what's going on back home? Like, again, did you remember to lock up everything or close all the windows? It's so easy for those little concerns to nag at you while you're trying to enjoy your trip. And that's why we highly recommend looking into Simply Safe Home Security today. It's all about giving you the top-notch security and total peace of mind, no matter where your summer adventures take you. It's like having that extra layer of protection so you can truly relax and enjoy your time away. You guys, I know that when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind. You know, it's not only for when you're home and you don't want someone breaking in, but like also when you're away from home and you just want to know that your house is safe. And that is what Simply Safe gives you. There's a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras we've installed. So we have a view of all our entry points. Plus, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System 2024 by the U.S. News and the World Report. Simply Safe has given us and many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Taking charge of my health is all about being super conscious of what I fuel my body with. Whether it's food or supplements, I'm constantly on the lookout for the top choices, and that's why I'm stoked to share with all of you Thorn. Thorn takes a personalized, innovative, and scientific approach to health and wellness with their supplements. They manufacture all their supplements in the U.S. using top-notch ingredients sourced globally. Plus, they team up with leading medical professionals to bring you highly effective nutritional supplements. Whether it's their B-complex, creatine, magnesium, or basic prenatal, Thorn's got all the supplements I need to help promote and maintain my health goals. You guys, I'm actually taking the B-complex vitamins every single morning, and I feel like it enhances my my energy and mood, especially if we've been eating a little bit unhealthy. 
With Thorn, we never have to question what's in each supplement because they go the extra mile when it comes to quality, manufacturing, and ingredients. Give your body what it really needs with Thorn. Go to thorn.fit slash husband and use code husband for 10% off your first order. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot F-I-T slash husband code husband for 10% off your first order. Thorn.fit slash husband code husband. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, so she suggests that she should smoke in the girl's bathroom. Shirley tells her the bathroom has fans and vents that will take the cigarette smoke right out of the bathroom. So that's why she suggests she smoke there. So Sophie then leaves and she leaves Shirley and Noah in Shirley's dorm room. At about 1.30 a.m., the couple walks out of Shirley's dorm heading for Noah's. They leave a note for Sophie to say that they're now gone for the night. And they have to leave the note because although they waited to say goodnight in person, Sophie hasn't yet returned from her smoke. So mm. Shirley and Noah walk down the hall to the stairwell and they see three people, two male, one female, still out and about at this hour one man Shirley sees in the hall is a stranger to her. She doesn't know him. She doesn't think he lives there. Okay. They make eye contact as she leaves. And unbeknownst to her, Shirley will never see Sophie, her friend, alive again. So she went to the bathroom to smoke, never came back. Well, she left to smoke. Okay. We didn't know if she was going to the bathroom for sure. Yes. I mean, Shirley said go to the bathroom. Okay. So we're assuming that's where she went. Got it. And I think it's important to note here now that we know that possibly Sophie went to the dorm bathroom that according to Death in Bartlett Hall, quote, in those days, the lights in the bathrooms could be shut off by anyone standing by the entrance. So you could be taking a shower and someone could walk in and turn the lights off. Yep, on you. yep, yep. Okay. And the bathroom on the second floor of Bartlett Hall also has several individual shower stalls. And then one of those stalls has a bathtub. And the stall with the, yes. And the stall, again, it's the nineties. Like, I don't think that would happen now. The stall with the bathtub has like a swing door to get into it, but it's completely separate from Mm -hmm. the shop, from the other stalls. So after Shirley leaves, a girl who also lives on floor two in the dorm takes a shower in the second floor bathroom in the stall that shares a wall with the one with the tub. And the female student hears some noises coming from that stall that she describes as, quote, thumping and muffled voices. But this is college. Nobody's going to go open that door to that stall and check what's going on when you hear muffled voices and thumping Mm -hmm. coming from the tub shower stall. So it's now Monday morning. Oh, that sucks. Sophie is scheduled to have her appointment that Monday and then fly back home. Shirley comes back to her dorm room at about 8.50 a.m. after sleeping at her boyfriend's and is surprised and unsettled to find the bed made and not looking at all slept in. The note she left for Sophie at 1.30 a.m. is still hanging on the door right where she left it. And the lights in her room are on. So is the TV. In fact, it all looks exactly as when Shirley and her boyfriend left the room at 1.30 a.m. So Shirley decides to go to the bathroom to check and see if Sophie is possibly awake and taking a shower. Shirley calls inside the bathroom. Sophie, are you here? And according to one source, Shirley hears a voice say, yeah, I'm here. Okay. No other sources confirm this. Okay. That's com- that's really confusing. And like seems really important. In any event, Shirley herself then takes a shower and goes back to her room and gets ready for the day. Because here's the thing. 
if she said, yeah, I'm here, I feel like there'd be more of a conversation than just that. Right. Or did someone else say, yeah, I'm here? Or, was yeah, there another Sophie? I don't know. Yeah, it's confusing. However, the fact that Shirley hasn't heard from Sophie as the day wears on, like it feels wrong to her. She starts asking people if they've seen Sophie that day. Shirley even calls the orthodontist where Sophie was set to have her appointment. And she finds out that Sophie was a no-show. So clearly something is very wrong. Sophie would never travel all the way to Fairbanks and then miss that appointment. And while at class on campus that day, Shirley then hears a rumor that will confirm her fears. People are whispering around campus that the police are at Bartlett Hall okay. and that they found a body in the second floor bathroom. Okay. So it was on the afternoon of Monday at 2.42 p.m. that UAF janitors are cleaning the bathroom on the east side of the second floor of Bartlett Hall. There, one of the janitors comes upon a shocking scene when they open the door to the bathtub stall. It's a girl's body in the bloody bathtub. Her pants have been left pulled down around her ankles. According to Death in Bartlett Hall, the janitor runs out of the bathroom screaming. And the horrible truth is that female students have been in and out of that very bathroom all morning. And I'm sure no one uses the bathtub as well. Right. So no one's going to check. But it's incredibly eerie because that girl's body has been sitting there in the private tub while everyone else has been showering and using the bathroom. Mm -hmm. The campus police and medical staff are immediately called. Investigators, housing staff, and medical staff will respond to the scene and possibly students will come to the scene as well. According to one source, 19 people are on the scene before the arrival of James McCann, the lead Alaska state trooper investigator who will take on the case. Shirley rushes to her dorm room once she hears the news about the police and the rumor that a girl's body has been found in the bathroom on her floor. A police officer stops her at the entrance of Bartlett Hall and tells her she can't go up to her room. This is when Shirley explains that her friend may be missing. She's like, listen, I live here. I last saw my friend here and I think she might be missing. After discussing further, Shirley and the police officer realize that they're likely talking about the same girl. Shirley presents the police with Sophie's ID card, which was still in Shirley's dorm room. And using the ID card, police make a heartbreaking confirmation. The murdered girl in the bathtub stall is, in fact, Sophie Sergi. That's so crazy to me that there can be so many people around and somebody gets murdered. Right. Just right there in the bathroom. Investigators and forensic experts amass at the dorm searching for evidence. They're at the dorm until at least 9 p.m. that night. The Alaska state troopers are busy canvassing the dorm looking for witnesses. And somehow no one the police talked to actually heard or witnessed the attack. Which this might not seem strange until you learn how Sophie died. Okay. Sophie was shot in the back of the head in that shower stall the what? morning of Monday, April 26th, 1993. There is no way that nobody hears that. Shot There's no way. In the back of the head, in a public dorm bathroom, and no one heard a gunshot. No one heard screams or a struggle. Investigators have difficulty even what? knowing who all had been present on the second floor at the time of the murder, given that the dorm room was full of students who were walking around room to room, floor to floor, many of whom were drinking. I mean, this is college. This is a college dorm room. This is exactly why you have security as well. Right. Or some type of organization. 
An autopsy is ordered, but even before the results are in, everyone knows this is clearly a homicide. And trigger warning, this is going to get a little graphic, but this is how Sophie's body was found, as detailed later in a document written by criminal authorities. Quote, the tub room was a small separate room next to the shower stalls in the east bathroom. The tub room had a shower stall type swinging door at the entrance of it. Sergi's body was found lying on her back in the bathtub with her legs together and bent over to her left. Her feet were in contact with the bottom of the tub. She was wearing shoes and socks. Her pants and underpants had been pulled down past her knees. The right cup of her bra had been pushed up, exposing her breast. The left side of her face was lying against the bottom of the tub over the drain. Her arms were above her head. She had multiple stab wounds on the right side of her face. And her face was covered in dried blood. Sophie's clothing and hair were damp, indicating that the water had been run after she was placed in the tub. And when her body was removed from the tub, investigators discovered she had also been shot in the back of the head. Under her body, in the tub drain, investigators recovered Sophie's cigarette lighter. And I feel like there's no way there was no screaming considering she was stabbed in the face. Right. The police begin questioning many people. Surely this case is going to be solved quickly. Like this happened in a dorm. There's hundreds of people nearby. No way. The university reacts with horror and shock and grief at the news. The flags are flown at half staff and a large memorial is held for Sophie on campus. Shirley Wasuli is one of the speakers, her friend. She reads letters from Sophie's mother and her friends back home. And she also speaks her own words. Quote, it's important to know how much Sophie enjoyed life. Don't be bitter. We should continue to pray for the person who took Sophie away from us. One of Sophie's university professors pays a tribute as well, speaking as to how Sophie always asked questions and wanted to learn more. But at this point, police don't even know if the killer lives in the dorm or is an outsider. The lax security for gaining entrance to the dorms and to the women's floors make it difficult to know. I am sure that there have been multiple events before where there have been non-students or random people in the dorms and you would think that after that they would fix everything maybe after the naked man that was found in the bathroom yeah, just months before you would just i don't know you would assume that they would fix something or get some sort of security right at this point students are in fear and calls to campus security and for campus escorts skyrocket the university provides counseling and a telephone hotline for students and parents to call As a short-term solution to the obvious security issues, the campus police announced that they'll be working extra hours to patrol the dorms until the killer is caught. And as of Tuesday, April 27th, the next day, the university has installed no additional security measures for Bartlett Hall or for the bathrooms. Mm. So still, no one is checking identification of visitors to the dorm. Also, how many people went through the bathroom? At least 19 before the lead investigator got there. completely corrupts. Right. Like so much evidence. Yes. Access to the student floors and bathrooms remained as simple as following a resident through the locked main door. A former residential advisor. Wait, is that an RA? Yeah, so it is an RA. Uh, (laughs) A former residential advisor is quoted as saying, the funny thing is I wrote that and didn't didn't realize realize it was was RA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been an accident waiting to happen. I'm not surprised that it hasn't happened sooner. He says he and the other RAs had asked for more security in the Mm -hmm. dorms, but that their requests were denied. 
At a residence meeting several weeks ago, it was suggested that locks be put up on the bathroom, but no action was taken. So just weeks before this, at a meeting, someone had suggested they put locks on the bathroom. Oh, man, this school's going to get a load of heat for this. Yeah. At this point, there's only one week of school left and final exams are about to start. At least 60 students leave the dorm within two days of the murder, which I'm only including this because there's your suspects who would normally live, Mm -hmm. who are there, whose friends are there. Gone. Gone. They're leaving. And Mm -hmm. so this is hard for the investigation. Another difficulty is that along with the university's budget issues, the police have one as well. They're short on detectives to investigate a murder case. Crime Stoppers offer $20,000 for any information leading to the killer's arrest. But one problem facing investigators is that there are no obvious suspects, no one who would want to harm Sophie. She had no enemies, no jealous exes. Investigators follow up leads on many people who could possibly have done this or had been present, um, had the opportunity, but it leads nowhere. And of course, there are no cameras. No cameras. Um, So at this point, police decide Sophie probably did not know her attacker and this was just a random attack. They believe that any girl that had been in the bathroom at that time could have been the victim. I assume, I mean, you kind of foreshadowed it a little bit. The guy that Shirley saw, maybe he has something to do with it. Yeah, because it was a stranger Mm -hmm. in the dorms. Maybe you're foreshadowing, maybe not. Just throwing that out there. I'm just telling you the story as it goes. Let's hear it. So on Tuesday night, Native American students hold a prayer meeting. This will be the second memorial on campus for Sophie. And around this time, Sophie's autopsy is performed and semen is found. Okay. So the swabs will be sent to the Alaska State Crime Detention Laboratory. But at this time, Alaska is not yet using DNA technology. So they swab it, they keep it, but they're not going to be testing it. Dang, you think that there would be like, okay, let's send this to... California, Oregon, Washington. Right. Let's have them test it for us. Yeah, well, priority. Yeah, it's hard, I know. So as of Sunday, May 2nd, it's reported that the university is now checking identification. So after a week, they decide to start checking oh. identification. Good job, everybody. And they're also urging students to lock their doors because according to most sources, students just left their dorm room doors unlocked. It's funny. It's it's sad that it takes something like this yeah. for precautions to be in place. That's, right. that's horrible. However, other exterior doors to the dorms are often propped open, making access still easy for anyone to get in. Sergeant Jim McCann of the Alaska State Troopers speaks to the media around this time, a little less than two weeks after Sophie's murder. And he announces that the police have recovered fingerprints, hair, and other physical evidence from the crime scene, but that they still don't have a suspect. He said, quote, whoever did this is very, very angry at women. Which, thank you, Mr. McCann, I agree. (laughs) Whoever it was, he fit in. So he says that this wasn't like some old man. He thinks that this was someone who would have fit in in the dorm rooms. When we started podcasting, an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds. But now we're selling Murder With My Husband merch. And it's so easy because we use Shopify. And we really do. We use Shopify to sell our merch. I've been using Shopify for years. So it is absolutely amazing. Easy to use. So intuitive. I love it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And it's great because they grow with you. So whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit 
a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said, and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash husband. We're jumping into an ad right now and I, no joke, I've had this question. I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make make you sick. I'm not saying that it 100% works for everybody because obviously you never know, but all I'm saying is I haven't been sick since I started taking it. Well, and the science behind it is so cool. Armra colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80% of your immune cells are housed. And it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season. Plus in clinical trials, bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu. We've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. Sergeant McCann announces that the police believe the killer is quite familiar with the location. He also announces that an unusually low number of leads have been called in, only 10 so far. He warns people to remain vigilant and announces that the killer may not be isolated to just the university and that the public should be at large as well. Commencement for the university is held on May 9th. Students begin scattering all over after the end of the school year. With many graduating, it will make the investigation even harder. Alaska state troopers announced that they haven't made an arrest and that leads have dwindled and the killer who committed this heinous crime right in the midst of a dorm room full of students is still on the loose and sadly will remain so. In April 1994, a year after Sophie's murder, Sophie's mother Elena Sergi sues the University of Alaska on behalf of mm. herself and Sophie's brother, seeking yeah. four million in damages. I don't blame her. Alleging that the university was negligent and that its poor security was to blame for Sophie's death. But here's the issue. What if the danger came from within? What if a student living in the dorms is the killer? That's true. Then that's not necessarily on the okay, school. Yeah, that's a good point. And so now that. you see where 
this civil case is going to go back and yeah. forth because the school says it hasn't been solved. We don't know that it was our fault. And she says, no, no matter what, it was your fault. Okay. Sophie's mother's lawsuit is intended in part to prevent this atrocity from happening to anyone else. And sure enough, Sophie's rape and murder forces the university to address the serious safety issues that existed in 1993. By 1995, bathroom lights are kept on 24-7 and emergency phones are in every student's room. Also at night and on weekends, people entering the dorms can only go in one door, which is monitored. The university also begins arming its campus police. In June 1996, three years after the murder, it's reported that Sophie's family, through their lawyers, are demanding more information and for law enforcement to be more transparent with details about her case. Three years in, the state still has no suspect, hasn't ever, and has made no arrests. I mean, how do you find somebody? Especially, I feel like this is a case where... I don't know what you do. If it wasn't solved immediately, it's going to be a while. Yeah. Unless they test the semen and it happens to come back to someone's DNA that's in the system anyways. Because if well, it's not even in the system, it's not even going to make hits on anything. I don't know how you solve this. Well, and what, we're still years away from CODIS. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. So I don't know what you do. You're still years away from even being able to test it against the system. Yeah. And the case goes cold. Her unsolved rape and murder quote, became in many ways the symbol of Alaskan violence against women. She was one of over 200 Alaska Native women who have been killed in similar acts of violence. Her death was a well-publicized tragedy and a real concern among UAF students who realized they might have a rapist and a killer in their midst. It was obvious that a killer had ready access to the most vulnerable buildings of the sprawling campus. This is all from Copper River Country Journal. It's reported in late December 1996 that, not surprisingly, the university is still trying to settle the lawsuit. This is not a case that they want to be fighting in open court. Settlement negotiations between Sophie's mother and the university have been ongoing, and Sophie's mother still seeks additional information from state authorities relating to her daughter's case. A government attorney states that there's a gag order, meaning no one, none of the parties can talk to the press. Meanwhile, as for the criminal investigation, state investigators are frustrated with the lack of leads. They want to try a fresh approach. Why is there a gag order? Um, Why would there be a gag order? Because it became so public. She almost became the face of Mm. danger at the school. And so they didn't, the school didn't want any more publicity on the case. And so it was probably just a bunch of fighting back and forth and eventually there was a gag order. It's not uncommon for gag orders yeah. to happen in civil suits. It just seems like usually there's a gag order when there's something to discuss and mm-hmm. there's nothing to discuss. So it seems like the school's just pissed off, embarrassed. The police don't have any leads. So it's like, oh, let's put a gag order on this. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I don't know. It just yeah. seems a little interesting. Yeah. It definitely seems like it's more to hurt Ex- her, her side. Exactly. Yes. 100%. So the criminal investigation decides to turn to the internet, which is in its infancy for law enforcement. Law enforcement announces in late December 1996 that they're going to post an announcement about Sophie's case, quote, on the World Wide Web. That's so funny. To find out whether any similar types of cases have happened elsewhere. But it's crazy that they're like, oh, let's use this internet thing, this World Wide Web, to see if... Because at this point, law enforcements aren't working with each other. I mean, it's crazy that still in the 90s, this was happening. I know. 
Their announcement will include a photo of Sophie and a short description of the crime. That's not that long ago. No. 25 years ago? No. Law enforcement believes that Sophie's rape and murder was committed by someone who's likely to be a serial rapist and killer. Like, someone doesn't come into these dorms, shoot someone in the back of the head in a dorm room, and not go kill and yeah. rape elsewhere. I still can't believe that nobody nobody heard anything. Right. Sergeant Jim McCann announces that he thinks the murderer will strike again or already has. I'm hoping to reach thousands of people via the World Wide Web, McCann says. I don't like having an unsolved sexual murder. In May 2000, law enforcement processes the DNA from the semen found in Sophie's body with what is now a more sophisticated advanced technology than ever existed before. Authorities develop a DNA profile from the semen and load it into CODIS. And although they have an advanced DNA profile, it doesn't generate a match to any offenders in the state or federal systems. I was worried that was going to happen. Well, and contrary to their belief that this could be the work of a serial killer or rapist, this killer is not in the system. This development is very frustrating and the case grows cold again. That sucks. It sucks that the technology wasn't there there is nothing else that can be done. Like it sucks for the fam. It, that sucks. That's horrible for the family. You're just sitting there going, be sitting on your hands. Right. There's nothing you can do. So despite all the investigators' valiant efforts at trying to compare DNA, Sophie's case goes cold again in 2003, but the police never give up. Detectives and investigators attempt to interview every single person who was in Bartlett Hall that night, oh, which man. is difficult since so many have scattered. A new investigator is assigned to the case in 2009, investigator James Stogsdill, who handles cold cases for the Alaska State Troopers. In April 2009, 16 years after the murder, the police announced some new developments. They want to know if anyone saw Sophie standing outside in front of Hess Commons. Mm. Quote, Following extensive analysis of the crime scene evidence, investigators stated an independent forensic examiner theorized that Sergi may have been killed somewhere other than the bathroom on the second floor. Interesting. Although he wasn't able to say conclusively that she was killed elsewhere and brought there. He said we should keep our eyes open for having her been having killed at another location. But to me, this is... How do you then get a body upstairs without anyone seeing Yeah, it? there's no way, right? I don't think so. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I agree. No, there's no way. Especially stabbed, shot. There's no way you can get a body. Yeah. And also, it was too... She didn't want to go outside. We've, we've talked about this before. A dead body is not easy to carry. No. So finally, in 2010, there seems to be a break in the case. Investigator Stogsdale questions an individual named Nicholas Dazer. Dazer had been questioned before, back in 1993 at the time of the murder. It's now 17 years after the murder. Nicholas Dazer lived in room 305 in Bartlett Hall in 1993 with a roommate named Stephen Downs. Both roommates were interviewed at the same time, but weren't able to provide any helpful information. And on top of that, Stephen Downs had an alibi at the time. He had spent the night with his girlfriend. However, police have now found out something very suspicious about the one roommate, Nicholas Dazer. They learned that back then, he was fired from the job that he had on campus as a security guard back when he went to school. He was actually working as a security guard the night of the murder. He even helped police keep the crime scene secure the next day. Mm. And guess why he was fired? Because he'd been keeping a personal gun in his dorm room. 
All right, red flags, here we go. Guns aren't allowed in the dorms. When questioned about it now, in 2010, Dazer admits that he was fired and he admits that it's true he did have a gun. But when asked, he denies owning a 22 caliber gun. This is the type of gun that the murder mm-hmm. weapon that was the murder weapon. Dazer tells police he does know someone though who did own a 22 caliber revolver at the time of the murder. His old roommate, Stephen Downs. Investigator Stogsdale continues working the case, but he ends up retiring without a concrete suspect, even though he digs into these two boys who lived in Bartlett Hall. The case goes cold again. Eventually, another cold case investigator is assigned to Sophie's case in 2018. His name is Randy McFerrin. At this point, the event of genealogical testing has come to pass, and they're very popular with the public who wants to learn about their ancestry, and law enforcement in the U.S. begins submitting DNA from cold cases to see if they get a hit with these new sites. All right, I still think that this is some of the craziest stuff ever because it's just crazy that It's not, I mean, I want to say it's comical, but it's amazing that there's these killers that are just sitting somewhere thinking, oh, I got away with this. And then their second cousin of their great, you know, just like down the line. And Ancestry.com came in and said. put their DNA in. All of a sudden, someone's DNA gets uploaded, gets tested, and it's like, oh, we found you. I also think it's crazy how it kind of happened by accident. It wasn't like someone in law enforcement was like, hey, that's it. Let's create a database that people can come submit and then we'll see. No. Someone said, wait, could we use 23andMe to find a killer? All this stuff. So it's some of the most amazing technology. Yes. I love it. So all they need now with the new technology is a family member's DNA. Yep. The lab has completed the analysis and it submits the biological DNA evidence collected from Sophie's body to a company that is able to run a comparison with the genealogical sites. On October 18th, 2018, Two promising matches, second cousins or closer. Oh, I just said second cousin. Look at that. And three potentially promising matches, third cousin or closer, were identified. The lab forwarded this information on to their forensic genealogist to complete the last steps in the process. So the killer here has never submitted his DNA anywhere, but some of his relatives have. I'm talking about. And just like with the Golden State Killer, the police force has finally gotten a match. On December 18th, 2018, the lab has identified the most likely suspect out of the family that matches the DNA. So it's not like they find the killer's DNA, but they get the family and then they go through the family tree and go, ah, no, probably wasn't him. Ah, Yeah, they're like, which one in here probably wasn't him, but him, it probably is. He looks like a killer. Yes. And who do you think this connection is to? Because you already know. It is going to be the guy that Shirley saw. Possibly. Okay, so I just assumed she, it was just a quick, she doesn't remember him. Yeah. But it was him? Or we assume it was him. So we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. I guess it could have been. Okay. Yeah. So then I don't know who it is. You do. Okay. It's Stephen Downs, the security guard's roommate who lived at the dorms and claimed he was with his girlfriend that night. I see, I see, I see. They know that the only DNA found in Sophie's body belongs to Downs. I mean... They go through the family tree and go, he lived in the same exact dorm room as her. 100%. Now they just have to get his DNA to prove it. They're like, we're pretty sure it's him. We just got to get his DNA. The police began investigating Stephen Harris Downs in earnest. He was born on August 31st, 1974 in Maine. He graduates high school in Maine in 1992. He has no criminal history either before or after 
the crime. Jeez, this weird. fact will seriously hamper the investigation because what is the chances it was a one-time thing? Yeah. Downs has never previously been arrested. He was a freshman at University of Alaska Fairbanks and was 18 years old at the time of Sophie's murder. He's a student there from 1992 to 1996 and starts in the fall of 1992. After graduating, he lives in Arizona for a while and then he eventually moves home. Once they're on to Downs and found out that he was actually living in Bartlett Hall at the time of Sophie's murder, law enforcement gets a court-approved wiretap to listen to his phone calls and puts him under surveillance with a camera mounted to a pole near his house. They also follow Downs around for a month, waiting him to throw something away, a cup of coffee, a cigarette. Nothing? Nothing. They can't get his DNA. You think he knows that they're following him? No. Still with no DNA from him, police go to Downs' home in Maine on February 13th, 2019, and they interview him. They ask about Sophie and the murder. He claims he didn't know Sophie. He says he didn't go to the second floor that night. He was with his girlfriend. He says, I remember pictures of her. I remember mm -hmm. the murder, but I don't know her. He was living on the third floor at the time and, again, says he spent most of the night with his girlfriend. So law enforcement executes a search warrant at Downs' home the next day. They also get a warrant to obtain a cheek swab from Downs. The DNA sample from Sophie matches the cheek swab they've just obtained from Stephen Downs. Of course it does. He's arrested on February 15th, 2009 and taken into custody. Police have now interviewed him for two hours on tape and he just the whole time says, no, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. If they did not have his DNA, he would never have been caught because he has zero criminal history. Never. How would, how would a jury have convicted him? Right. Wouldn't have happened. He's extradited from Maine to face rape and murder charges in Alaska. He's now 44 years old. Wow. But he denies knowing her, and police are like, okay, but if you didn't know her, how was your semen found inside her dead body, yeah. sir? Like, that doesn't make sense. Downs appears in court for the first time at his arraignment on August 14th, 2019. He pleads not guilty. And I'm going to kind of just fast forward through the trial okay. here. I mean, obviously, you have both sides. No fingerprints of his were ever found or anything like that, but his DNA was found in her body. Yeah, what more do you need? Tragically, Sophie's mother dies in 2021. Ugh. So he'd been arrested, but she still died had not having any justice for her daughter. Yeah. The trial is delayed twice because we're now in COVID time. Um, and it ends up being a COVID trial with witnesses appearing remotely over a screen and everyone in the courtroom wearing a mask. I did not know that was a thing. The jury begins deliberating on the afternoon of Monday, February 7th. And they deliberate for four days. On February 10th, the jury convicts Downs of first-degree rape and first-degree murder, and he's now 47 years old. Four days. Yes. What person that jury was like, ah, maybe it wasn't him. Well, they were just taking their job serious. Come on, man. I respect it. As reported in CBS News, Sophie's brother Alex describes the relief he feels upon the guilty verdict despite the fact that his mother had already passed away. This is the first case in Alaska history where a conviction is obtained by using a DNA comparison to genealogical sites. Wow. That's pretty awesome. As for the viciousness and senselessness of the crime itself, they go on to say, he committed it against someone he'd never met and committed it for no discernible reason. Sergi is a woman who downs overpowered in every way, height, weight, and weapons, the way he committed the crime, it's pretty shocking it wasn't caught earlier because this crime is really one that should have been easily detected. It was in a public place with a bathroom stall separating murder from washing and brushing teeth as students came and went fairly busy with he activity. He never admitted to it? Never admitted to it. So we never know 
Like if it was outside, inside, he just never admitted nope. to it. On September 26th, Downs is sentenced. Downs says nothing at his sentencing, but his attorney states that Downs still claims he's innocent. The prosecutor asked the judge to consider the multiple aggravating circumstances, how the defendant used both a knife and a gun, how he prevented a victim from reporting a rape by murdering her to permanently silence her. And as quoted in Wabi.tv, the prosecutor says, quote, he committed the crimes with a brazenness that is still unfathomable and said it was shocking that he wasn't caught earlier. The defense, however, asked the judge to be, quote, practical. They go on to say, I think that his life expectancy is not going to be, you know, 103 years old here. Anything in excess of a that 20 years. That was their argument? Yes. Oh, my god. They say anything in excess of a 20-year sentence. Get out of here. That's going to be bringing him to near the end of his life. The defense excuses his behavior as he was very immature. He was drinking and partying a lot, as much as a fifth of whiskey every night, somehow maintaining his grades, doing a lot, alienated like a, like a lot of 18-year-olds. That's his defense. That's and it's important to pause here and note. So stupid. Other alienated 18-year-olds don't go around raping and stabbing and women in the people, face. Yeah. yeah. So the defense attorney goes on to say that Downs isn't a monster and that with a long sentence, he won't ever be able to hug his parents again. This comment makes the judge mad. The judge responds, since April of 1993, Miss Sergi hasn't been able to hug anybody no one's been able yeah. to hug Miss Sergi. No one will ever hug her again. The judge sentences Downs to 75 years in prison, 67 for the murder plus eight for the sexual assault. Under Alaska law, if Downs has no problems in prison, he can be released after he serves one third of his sentence, so 25 years. Downs is appealing his conviction and sentence. We'll keep you updated on developments on this case, which is such an amazing example of police work and family persistent for answers that finally leads to some form of justice after how many decades of darkness. But why? That is such a big question here. Why would Downs do this? Why did he do it just one time? No reason. I mean... There may never be an answer yeah. to these questions, but at least someone has finally been convicted and sentenced for this terrible crime. And may Sophie Sergi rest in peace in Pitka's Point where she was buried in 1993 next to her grandmother. That sucks. That's... I mean, all these are horrible, but it's just no reason, no, she went to go smoke a cigarette in the bathroom. She didn't even she live there. she got killed. She didn't even live there. Like, I don't want to say what are the chances, but she was just visiting. I just, like, like you said, why? Why did he just kill her? And then never do it again. Most likely it's probably he sexually assaulted her, knew he would get caught. So he killed her. So he killed her. What a loser. Like, what a just horrible person. I yeah. can't. Yeah. All right, you guys, that is our case for this week. Don't forget to listen to Dear Daisies and don't forget to sign up for Patreon or subscriptions to get our bonus episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.